I'm Lisa Mullins, and this is The World. A modest number of al-Qaeda fighters has reportedly established operations in parts of eastern Afghanistan. According to the Reuters news agency, that means there's a new al-Qaeda presence in Kunar province along the porous border with Pakistan. U.S. Army Captain Michael Colton knows the rugged mountains and lush valleys of Kunar province well. Until last month, the 29-year-old was the commander for Bravo Company at the Army's combat outpost Monty in Kunar. He saw a lot of combat there. Colton lost some of his men in battles with insurgents. About two weeks after he took over as commander, he did something that seems counterintuitive, but it's something many commanders in the region are now doing. He placed a phone call to the head of a group of local insurgents his unit had been fighting. He wanted to let their commander, a man named Masood, know that he was open to talking. He also set out to forge alliances with local elders. He invited them to his base. He set up a big wood hut, lined it with pillows, and put down a rug. When the elders came to talk, Colton served them tea, at least in the beginning. I kept serving tea for the first month, and finally my interpreter told me, we drink tea 24 hours a day. We want energy drinks and Coca-Cola. I'm talking about 60-year-old men who've fought the Russians. They want Mountain Dew and not tea when they come to visit me. Mountain Dew and other high-voltage caffeine drinks. Captain Colton was trying to build trust and gain intelligence. Finally, Masood, the Afghan insurgent commander he'd been playing phone tag with for months, showed up at Colton's camp. He's about four foot eleven, which was pretty disappointing based on the legends that he comes with. I thought he was going to be six foot five, and uh, he weighed probably one hundred and ten pounds. Had a pretty sizable beard. Had a pretty full head of hair, almost to the point of, like, beach bum. Do you know how old he was? Yeah, he's about 40 years old. His face looked like he could be 70, but his uh, very frail body, and uh, I was very uh, underwhelmed, I guess is the word. You couldn't let on to him that you were under-impressed. No, I, I, um, he's feeling you out. The whole experience is him trying to see how you're going to react you got to defy every single prejudice he has against you. So his, his perception of Americans is that we're aggressive, that we're unforgiving, that we want to kill him, that we want to arrest him, that we want to punish him, that we want revenge. He knows that he's responsible for the death of Americans. What should my reaction be to that? It should be to want to get revenge. And so he's trying to see, is there, is there an opportunity here for forgiveness? Because there is a an avenue in Pashtun Wali, which is the code of the Pashtun culture, uh, to forgive your enemy. And so he's trying to see, where are you at as a person? And so I'm looking at, we're sitting down at this wooden table, and the conversation really doesn't go anywhere other than, I know your family, you know me, what's agree to continue to talk? As long as you call me once a week and make an effort to come see me in person, I will not hunt you. So we came to an agreement. And he called me every week from that day forward. And uh, within two weeks, he was giving me the best intelligence I ever received. Because uh, he was a high enough level commander. He was attending meetings with the highest level commanders in Northern Kunar. So he was still participating in all the, the planning of the attacks on my base. Was he, me, was he part of the conducting of, of these attacks as well? Did he personally participate in, in more attacks? Probably not. But how much control does he have on his fighters? Uh, they're loyal to him, but at the end of the day, they operate in a, in a very barbaric, violent organization. And so if he lets on that he's become weak, that he's become soft, he risks losing control 
of his fighters. And, you know, number of fighters he controlled, probably about around 100. How many of those were in his inner circle? I can tell you about 20 of them were loyal to him to death. And then the rest were probably connected to him, but based on his success as a fighter. And so it's not just about reconciling him. Uh, the goal at the end of the day is to reconcile him and those 100 guys. And uh, I made it very clear to him, I, I don't mind killing his enemies either. So uh, what I told him is, hey, look, I know, and I start naming names. You know, sometimes Afghans are a little surprised how much you can know about their culture. Because I would talk about people's uncles, second cousins, and I would know how they're related. And I just, look, I know that this guy is trying to kill you. I know that you guys are um, enemies. And he's my enemy as well. He's killed Afghan civilians. He's killed, and when I say kill, I'm talking like, kidnapped him and executed him and he said help me get rid of this guy he's a he's a disgrace to everything that you stand for and that's one thing that is a challenge is how do you frame this guy for yourself and your soldiers is he evil or is he is he someone that has something worth fighting for here i am in someone else's country and i'm fighting to kill other human beings for a cause and then here's a guy that's killing my soldiers for a cause is he that much different than me? That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Yeah, including some of your own soldiers. You had uh, in your company one soldier whose brother had been killed in that very region. So how do you reconcile that? How do you talk to your soldiers about that? Were they angry? With Andy, the officer you referenced, his brother was a good friend of mine as well. The brother who his brother killed. Yeah, and uh, Matt, the uh, officer that was killed, was killed after doing a key leader engagement with elders as a guest of the elders, meeting them in their village. And on the way out from that village, he was ambushed. I think the residual angst is the fact that Matt was doing the same thing that me and Andy are doing. And he was killed. Look, he's killed. How could you and how could Matt's brother Andy, who was part of your company, not feel a sense of vengeance? Right. And again, you, you stop there at the first order effect. You stop there and you say, okay, bad guy, we need to kill him. Can't trust him. That's where you stop. And that's where a lot of people stop. Let's take it one step further. Now you know how that feels. Let's empathize with our enemy. Let's see where they're coming from. Because maybe that experience alone helps us not create distance, but actually connects us with our enemy. If he is willing to kill people out of sense of betrayal, and I'm willing to kill people out of a sense of betrayal and for revenge, then maybe we have more in common than we think. And that's kind of the connection that we made. Um, Is that a great leap, though, Michael, when you're in the heat of battle or at least under the threat of an attack? How do you convince these guys? How do you even convince yourself that you and the enemy have more in common than not? Yeah, I think my soldiers wouldn't necessarily agree with that approach, that the risk was worth it. But I think that's kind of where we're at in Afghanistan is is the new definition of courage is risking yourself to protect um, innocent people and to reconcile fighters. And and that new definition of courage is, I think, slowly changing the culture of, of my army. I would tell you with the benefits that we, we gained, I mean, the intelligence, it begot on itself. I mean, it grew from a one meeting to full-blown reconciliation. Now him and his fighters uh, this month are actually reconciled by the Afghan government and are going through the reintegration and getting vocational training and getting stipends from the Afghan government. I mean, that's where they're at right now as we're talking. That would never have happened had I not taken those risks in July 2011. Captain Michael Colton, thank you. 
Thank you. Michael Colton was the commander of U.S. Army Combat Outpost Monty in eastern Afghanistan. Colton says that after his first meeting with insurgent leader Massoud, his company never found or struck a roadside bomb on the main road again. By the way, he also says Massoud's brother happened to be one of the tribal elders he'd been inviting to his base for lunch and Mountain Dew. We've got pictures of Captain Colton, including one with Commander Massoud. They are at theworld.org. This is The World on PRI, Public Radio International.